0: episode 119 of the pilot the pilot podcast takes off now
1: my name is kelsey i'm a 747 pilot i fly the dream lifter i fly passengers and cargo all over the world and my instagram and youtube channel is 74gear
0: What is going on, Aviation Nation, and welcome back to episode number 119 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Today's episode is the start of YouTube week. Today, we are talking with Kelsey from 74 Gear. He is one of my favorite aviation YouTubers, and I'm very excited to have him on this podcast, talk about his cargo life talk about the YouTube channel, and just talk about his life in general. He has a pretty great story and one that I'm really excited to share. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram where you can follow us there. And also make sure to take our dream job survey. That is going to be in my bio underneath my Instagram profile. So go ahead and take that. 500 people have taken it already. You have the chance to win one of five really, really cool hats, and you'd be helping me out. So go ahead and check that out. Take the survey. It takes seven minutes to do it, and you'll be entered to win a hat. I'm giving away. Five Five, like i said uh, also please check out our patreon account if you would like to support the podcast your support goes such a long way and you can also get some discounts on some swag as well but Aviation, i don't want to keep you much longer kelsey has a great story so without any further ado here's kelsey from seven four gear kelsey what's going on man welcome to the pilot the pilot Podcast.
1: Hey! Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: No problem. Man. I'm excited to talk to you. You have been like blowing up my uh, YouTube algorithm, or like not for you page. That's <laughs> TikTok. I'm too old to even mention TikTok right now, but I seem to be seeing your videos pop up more and more and more on my um, YouTube and whatever Instagram, whatever it may be. So you seem to be doing a pretty good job with what you're doing right now, man.
1: Yeah, it's been uh, I've been pretty fortunate that uh, the last last few months things have really started to go well, and and uh, actually. I just did. I just started TikTok. I know you said it, you're too old for it. I think I am too. But I, I had all these people saying, "Please do these." Please. I was like, "All right." So I just started doing TikTok like a week ago. It's been it's been kind of fun.
0: You dancing or are you you doing your YouTube no, videos? No,
1: that would that would definitely crush my image. Uh, no, I've just been doing just kind of like taking some of the things that people are doing and just putting like an aviation spiel to it. That's it. I
0: was going to say, I want to see Kelsey doing the renegade on TikTok. series. Yeah.
1: I mean, (laughs) maybe that would go viral. I don't know.
0: Maybe not going viral (laughs) for the right reasons. though. right.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would go on YouTube and not in a good way. Yeah,
0: no, not at all. Well, Kelsey, like I said, you're killing on YouTube right now, man. Like you're, you're, I'm seeing your stuff all over the place. I've been watching it. It's been, it's been great and it's been good content. Uh, I think what a lot of people will be interested in is, I mean, I'm sure you've done this before, but sitting down and talking about you, just sharing your story, sharing why you got into aviation, kind of your love for it and what fostered it. And then eventually it will lead into what made you even want to create and start uh, putting stuff out there on YouTube. So it's going to be a good conversation. I'm excited to have you on. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Good man. Well, hey, the first thing I always ask everyone is uh, why aviation. You know, there's there's so many things someone can do in, as a career, and has the opportunity to go do. And aviation is, is seems to be what you chose. So, what was the original aviation? What was the original inspiration for you getting involved with aviation?
1: Well, my my aunt, uh, my aunt, who was kind of like a mother to me, she was a flight attendant, and she was, you know, obviously in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s when it was still really awesome to be a flight attendant. And uh, her husband, who was my uncle, who he was a pilot, and so he, he ended up losing his medical because he had a diabetes. But uh, but it was young. he was still kind of young, so he had always talked about being a pilot and how cool it was. And he was a really smart guy. He was an engineer, but one of those super smart engineers. So I, I never thought I was honestly smart enough because he was really the only pilot that I knew, and he was on that crazy smart level. So uh, you know, that was kind of my kind of planted the seed and um yeah and that was kind of what got me interested in in becoming a pilot and then you know it just kind of fit my personality. It's a very precise thing that you're doing and then when you're done, you're done. And I kind of like that when you're working, you're really focused. And then when you're not, you you're not worried about it. So that was kind of what drew me
0: in. I agree. I like how you say that because I'm the same way. I love the fact that when I'm on call, when I'm working, I'm out there and I'm working, I'm doing what I love to do. But when I'm off, I am 100% off. The only thing I might be thinking about is how bad my landing was and why, <laughs> and how the passengers <laughs> were, uh, were mad at me. But other than that, it's like you're off 100%. You can do whatever you want, get rest, I mean, go get some food, like just enjoy your life. And it gives us the opportunity to, to do things like this, to talk on a podcast, to create a podcast, to create a YouTube channel. So it's definitely a very unique, uh, a unique, a unique job that we have.
1: Yeah. I was just talking to a buddy of mine at JetBlue just the other day. And, uh, he, he was like, you know, it's, it's hard to find a job that pays you this well to do this little, right. It's, it's a real grind to get there. But once you get there and you get all the training done and you get comfortable with the aircraft you're flying, your, your brain doesn't have to work so hard. And then it's, it's pretty nice. Cause you're working and kind of enjoying yourself, what you're doing. And then when you're done, you, no one's calling you or asking for a TPS report, you know, you're just, Hey, cool. I'm here I'm done and hang out.
0: Yeah. Agreed. And I like to say, well, I don't like to, but this is our, our career is definitely a delayed gratification career. Like, I mean, you're not going to, you, you definitely have to work for it. You definitely have to put in the hours. I mean, 1500 hours is a lot of hours. And now who knows what the industry is going to look like in a couple of years or even a couple of months. So, I mean, it's like, it's definitely something that, can be taken away at, at kind of any point. I mean, whether you lose your medical, whether something happens like coronavirus or September 11th or the 2008 financial crisis, you kind of never know what's going to happen with aviation. And it's a, it's a very rewarding, but also very risky career path to go on. Um, I agree. When you, so you mentioned that you, your aunt was a flight attendant, your uncle was a pilot and had diabetes and he had to stop. But you mentioned how, how smart he was and how you thought that he didn't, or that you couldn't be a pilot because you weren't up to that level. Do you think that's still the case, or do you think we're doing a better job of showing everyone that they can be pilots now? Because that's—I had the same thought as you did. I was like, "Oh my gosh, pilots are rocket scientists. There's no way I could be a pilot."
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, the thing is, is I think it depends on who who's around you, right? If you're, if someone that you know is a pilot, and just you know, your standard airline pilot, they may be able to tell you, "Hey, you know, it's not that bad." But the guy who I knew. I mean, he was building model aircraft. He helped design stuff on the F-18. Uh, he, he was just like next level, super smart guy. And that was kind of the only pilot who I knew. So I didn't think, well, that was kind of like what you were saying. Oh, they're all rocket scientists. Well, this dude was like at that level. So I was like, I'm like a BC student, you know? So that that was my thought process. There's no way I can do this. Uh, I think just kind of with YouTube and with everything like that, you're you're seeing kind of having more interaction, you know, like when I went through flight school, there was no 747 pilot that I could write to and hope to get a response to on, on YouTube. You know, there was no channel to reach those people. And, and I think that's, kind of what's changed now compared to you know when maybe you went through flight school and I went through flight school things like
0: that. I agree. I think uh, the the idea of a pilot is more relatable to a common person. Like when we were growing up or when you were growing up maybe like you said it might be you have to be the smartest of the smart or you see these people and you just don't really think you can do it because you don't know them and you can't see their personality. But once you see them on a podcast or once you hear them on a podcast see them on a YouTube channel you can relate more and you can be like oh this guy's funny I'm funny too. It's like anyone can be a pilot you know or just kind of what you can see and what you can relate to seeing them do that job helps make that seem like it's more attainable for you.
1: Definitely, definitely. And, and, you know, everybody's got their own different personalities as far as for how they approach things, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty laid back and I always make jokes about not being that smart and things like that. There's a lot of work you have to put into, to getting here. But, um, I think most people, you can teach most people to fly, but a lot of it comes down to like, are you willing to put in the work? Cause if you're not that smart, you got to work maybe three times as hard but you can still do it. Right. Uh, and yeah,
0: absolutely. You can definitely still do it. And you got that spot on you. You just have to put in the work. You might have to work harder than the average person, but you can definitely do it. Um, how old were you when you had the idea of being a pilot?
1: Um, I don't know. I'd probably be like nine or 10 is when I first thought thought about it. Right. I just, like I said, I just never thought I could actually get there.
0: When did you finally figure out that this is actually attainable for you and this is something you can do?
1: I guess when I got a little bit older, um, into my twenties, uh, I was talking to my uncle about it and, and I was actually, what I was asking him is why, why are, why are all the pilots like so grumpy? Like you talk to some of these pilots, (laughs) these airline pilots, they're always so grumpy. Why is it a terrible job? He's like, no, it's not a terrible job, but these guys were were guys that remembered like the sixties and the seventies when you were making just hand over fist money and not having to do any work and, all the flight attendants were super beautiful. And it was like, you were like a King everywhere you went. That's what they remember when they were kids. And now it's not like that anymore. So they're just kind of grumpy. And he said, you know, pilots in general are kind of whiny, grumpy people, which (laughs) I now know is exactly true. It's very true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like for all
1: all the good things that we have, we, we love to find a way to whine or complain about something. I don't know why. I think it's the little boy syndrome that we have.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, we could sign a new contract for a million dollars and we'd find something to complain about. We're like, why didn't we get a million and one dollars? Like this is bull crap. Exactly. It's exactly that. It's funny. You can never make a pilot happy. That's definitely for sure. So did you have any idea, like what else did you think about doing? So before you were being a pilot, you always had dreams and goals. Was there anything else that you really wanted to do?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in a a military family. I grew up where Top Gun was filmed down in Miramar in San Diego. So I I thought about going in the military and, and doing that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the other aspect that I have. And again, like in my mind, military pilot was like a whole other level. Right. And so I just thought, well, I'd never be smart enough to go fly a fighter jet. That would be super cool. I would never be able to do that. And now I've flown with enough fighter pilots to know I could have easily done that not not (laughs) not not in a bad way but it's just like oh okay yeah okay I I see kind of where your your thought process is and where your intelligence level is and you know, some of them are smarter than others, just like some airline pilots are smarter than others. And it's like, hey, if you're willing to put in the work, you can get it done. So yeah, it's more
0: it's more attainable than you think it could be. And, like, it's definitely work. And military side is a whole different kind of work. A lot more tests and a lot more stuff, but you could you could definitely make it work. We could see Kelsey. It could be a whole F-16 YouTube channel instead of the 7-4 gear.
1: Exactly. It could have been. It yeah. could have been. Yeah, I well, mean, it's, been. it's, It's, it's uh, yeah, it would have been. It's one of those things that really kind of wish I had done now looking back on it and taking that opportunity to do it. But, you know, getting a flying slot and having all those things work out, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But, um, you know, those guys, it's, it is really cool what they do. And, it, you know, you can wash out of an aviation program in the military a lot easier than obviously a civilian. So I remember talking with some of the guys about that. They said, you know, you can be super, super intelligent, but still not be able to fly. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a balance. So. Uh, he said one of the smartest guys he knew was like an aerospace engineer, but he ended up washing out of their out of their flight school in the uh, air force because he just couldn't, couldn't put it all together. So it's it kind of strange.
0: That's gotta be intimidating. Like <laughs> say you're getting ready to go apply. And then all of a sudden you hear how those aerospace or those rocket scientists can't put it all together. It's like, well, why can I put it together? It's like, I got a D in math. There's no way I could put this together.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, you've got to just kind of find, I think from a mentoring side You know, when I talk to younger guys that want to be pilots or they come and, you know, randomly come and talk to me, it's just, you got to find kind of your personality as far as what your strong uh, characteristics are as far as you, and then kind of find a job that fits. This may not be a good fit for you. You know, you might be crazy smart, but that doesn't always translate to being, you know, good hand-eye coordination and, you know, thinking on your feet. Those things don't necessarily go hand-to-hand. I always played sports and things like that. So for me, it, it wasn't too difficult.
0: Yeah. And the good thing about our our career is it's also a hobby. So if you can't do this for a career, you can, there's no reason you can't just go fly a 172 around for fun, bonanza, whatever it may be. So go make your money and how you want to make your money and come back to aviation. We'll still be here and we'll be waiting for you to come up and fly.
1: There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people that say like, you know, uh, go be a doctor and then fly for fun. Right. But yeah, yeah I wasn't smart enough to do that. But I was see, smart maybe, enough maybe to, there's doctors thinking the same thing like right? oh trust me you
0: could have done this right so <laughs> well i was smart enough to marry someone that's going through med school right now and will be a doctor so <laughs> and i can hey, tell see, you right that's now better. that's a better move <laughs> i know i can tell you right now i could not do med school oh my gosh <laughs> it's a her, lot of though. studying for yeah sure. that's crazy it's a lot of studying uh so yeah, you decided you want to be a pilot. It was kind of in your 20s from what I'm gathering. Were you in college when you decided? Were you out of college? Uh what what were you doing when like what was going um, on in your life?
1: By the time I pulled the trigger, yeah, I was already out of college. I and then I decided to to just go to flight school. I, I did uh like a part sixty one. I just did uh I did part of it in the West Coast and part of it in the east coast. And then it was kind of a weird thing. I I found a 135 job and I got a 135 job, which was kind of unheard of. Because I only had like 260 hours or whatever it was, um, I got a 135 job, and then I started flying 135, and then I started flying charter uh, passengers for a while, and then uh, went to the went to the regionals. And flew there for several years, and then uh, got hired flying the 747.
0: What was so, the point behind uh, going doing your training on the West Coast and, and East Coast? Was it to kind of get a vibe for the different kind of flying and the different how how different it can be in the two countries? Different weather systems, different kind of just like geography or was it just all
1: all, all, all of those things? I, I wanted to, I, in my mind and now looking back on it, it didn't really make a huge difference, but in my mind, I was like, I want to fly on the West coast. I want to fly through, uh, like hot mountainous terrain. I want to fly through all that stuff. And then on the East coast, you know, I had more like thunderstorms. I was down in Florida, so thunderstorms and things like that. So I was like, I want to have the most broad experience that I can. So I'm the best pilot I could be. And now looking back on it, it was Nobody was like, "Oh, this is fantastic that you worked on both coasts." Like it it was like, "What's your flight time? Great, we'll do your interview." And that was all that really mattered. So. That's so funny. Oh, <laughs> oh well.
0: Oh my yeah. gosh, Kelsey, you you, you did it. Yeah. No one's ever done this before.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I was like, "I'm going to be the best possible, well-rounded 250-hour pilot that I could be." It it, it really didn't matter, but you yeah. know, it, it that's kind of that's kind of part of the living experience, right? Yeah. You just
0: kind of. But you also say it didn't matter, and then you also had a sweet little charter job in one thirty five so it met most people when they didn't have the you you needed more time probably so it it might have put you in a spot where you got to meet different people and you got to go outside of your normal kind of kind of system of people that you had in community and you put yourself out there and you met new people and they were able to help you out and get you a cool little job
1: well for sh- i mean i'll tell you for sure without a doubt the a lot of my success in aviation has just been in, in networking. And no matter where I was in flight school or my, any of my jobs, I, I worked as hard as I possibly could to do the best job that I could. And it really paid dividends because there was one of the very first job that I have, it was kind of crappy. I was flying a plane. I was pretty sure it was going to fall apart at any minute. But through that, I ended up making friends with a, a, a woman who was, who was a base manager and she ended up really liking me and she said, Hey, I, I know there's a better charter company that we can, uh, if you want, I know the chief pilot there. I can put in a good word for you. And, uh, that got me into uh, a, a bigger plane. And, and that's kind of how that worked. And it was, you know, it's always trying to do my very best. And, and that, you know, you know, uh, something that I don't think a lot of people realize is they'll go to a regional or they'll be not caring. And they're like, this is, doesn't matter. But those people who are in your class, at those different stages of your life, you may need a letter of recommendation from them later on. And if you were the guy who was just slacking off and not caring, they're going to be a lot less likely to recommend you to their really cool airline or their really cool job that they do have, because it's going to look bad on them if you show up and are that same guy who was just not caring.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do, I've talked about this kind of been a recurring theme with a lot of podcasts been doing recently. And it's uh, just maintaining the the idea that you never know who can help you out in the future, and you never know kind of what is going to happen. So you might need those contacts. So it's very important that you put off a very professional image of yourself all the time when you're when you're in an aviation situation. I talked to one kid who you brought up how your uncle had diabetes. He's actually I'm releasing his podcast in a couple of days. He's the first pilot to get a first class medical with type one diabetes ever. And the reason why he had these connections and how it helped him is he was in a grocery store, had a bad day. He just got diagnosed with diabetes, I believe. And he met up with someone else that had diabetes and he was able to help him out and he was able to point him in the right direction and, and talk with him and mentor him. So it, it's really crazy to, to see how you can have these kind of experiences and you never know who you're going to meet because aviation is such a small community, but there's a lot of pilots out there. Like there's a lot of people out there and they know a lot of people. So be cool and just be a good dude. Right, or girl, it, or girl
1: with, of with, course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Either way, yeah, without a doubt, it it's definitely, it's definitely something that has served me well. Is just always trying to be. I just the other day, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine who I met at my very first job. You know, he 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 and I flew corporate together, and we still talk. And you know, he he was talking about maybe coming over to my airline or what do you want to do. And having those contacts are great because. W- We've had that long time friendship there, and that's really important for hey, when you like a time like right now is when you need to know who, it's who, how many people do you know and how how many people know you well to you know get get the next job or get the next move that you need to make. Uh, that's really hard if you've been a dick to everybody for the last 10 years because nothing mattered and you could get a job anywhere you wanted, right? Yeah.
0: So, people don't forget that's for sure, 100%. Not- Aviation super small, which is kind of funny.
1: Like when I started the YouTube channel, how many people said, oh, this guy's not a real pilot. And I, I did that mean comments video of through 100,000. There were so many like, this guy's not real. This guy's not real. And I was just kind of laughing. I was like, in this tiny world of aviation, it would be pretty hard to be faking something like this. If I'm this good, like... You know, I you should I be an should, actor. Uh,
0: yeah, you should be doing I something better. I should be an actor,
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like That's Frank Abagnale, uh, Ab- Abagnale from Catch Me like, If You Can. I'm like the YouTube version of him.
0: So, no, it's so true. I mean, I definitely agree with that. Uh, going back to your training a little bit, I'm sure people be f- just want to know more about your training. Obviously, you went West Coast, to East Coast, but was there anything that you specifically struggled with, or had any struggles or difficulties that you had to overcome in your training? Maybe like check rides, maintenance, instructors, or concepts.
1: Um. Well, I failed my very first check ride, which was not not an exciting start to my aviation career. Uh, and you know, just kind of over the years, I worked on figuring out what worked for me, and I actually did, I, because I grew up in San Diego, I was around a lot of special forceless guys growing up. Uh, and I remember talking with them and kind of like their strategy as far as how they studied stuff. So I, I kind of I actually made a video like way early on in my YouTube career of like how I actually studied for you know, this kind of like put this kind of system that worked for me together. And it was kind of a blend of like those special forces guys that I knew what worked for me and just a bunch of different things to, to make it. So I could go through and do everything as well as I could. It, for me, the IFR flying was the easiest. And for, I know for a lot of guys, it was the reverse. Um, for me, IFR was really easy. I, I don't know why it was like, to me, it was like a video game. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah cross up the needles, fly in speed. Yeah, this makes sense. Uh, that wasn't hard for me. And, uh, I, I guess what I, some of the things I didn't like were some of the BFR things. Cause I, I just wanted to get to flying bigger planes as as quickly as I could.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's everyone's goal, right? Everyone has that shiny jet syndrome at one point or heavy jet syndrome.
1: Yeah. I think everybody, I mean, most people do at least I, I know I did. I just, I wanted, I didn't, I honestly never thought I'd ever get to a 747, to be honest with you. When, when they were retiring, you know, started retiring them, I thought, well, uh, that was my opportunity. And, and, uh, then I kind of stumbled upon this and I thought, wow, this worked out pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, it did.
0: Uh, when you fail your private check ride, what's your mindset? Do you think like, wow, okay, maybe I can't do be a pilot. Maybe I need to rethink my whole career or you're like, oh, okay, I failed that. Let's go back at it. Let's pass the next one.
1: Um, I'm, I'm a very stubborn person, maybe one of the most stubborn people I ever met. So I, in my mind, I was like, okay, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm going to do this again. And, and the examiner had said to me, um, he said you know, uh, you got a really good attitude about this, that you're going to be just fine. That was something that he had said to me and that kind of stuck out. And when I talked with my instructor about it, he, he had told me, Hey, some of this stuff is my fault. I should have told you that, or I didn't tell you this, you know, and it's, unfortunately that's one of the the downsides of doing a part 61 program is, is sometimes you're going to depending on what's going on at that one six that part 61 school you may end up missing a a thing or two and that's basically what happened so i failed that um and then after that i started kind of developing my i don't know my my study plan which was uh I, it, it was the pts when i did it it's something else now but uh you know, where you have the whole exam laid out of everything. So I started using that as my guide to study and prep for, uh, I started doing something that I learned is that the special forces guys, when they would study a lot of materials, they would listen to classical music and classical music helps your retention. So I would, as I would be studying, I'd be listening to classical music. Uh, something else is like chewing gum helps relax you. And so I would chew gum during my check ride. And to this day, I still to chew gum during a check ride and, it helps that that chewing motion helps your body relax. So I'll chew gum during a check ride, and, and I explained it all in that video. All the things that I do to prep, and I still do it. And I just kind of developed system over how many years, and I still do it today. That's so. funny.
0: You should come out with some seven four gear gum, some check ride gum.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's
0: hilarious. You want to pass check ride? Get some seven four gear gum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. No, I mean, yeah, it's funny. Uh, how over your career you find out you tailor your training, you tailor your studying for what works for you. A lot of it's trial and error. Like a lot of it, it you're only gonna change once you reach a, a point of failure. So if you if you keep passing everything, maybe you don't know you if you have any kind of areas where you're you're struggling with studying at all. But once you do fail something, it forces you to to reevaluate. It forces you to look at yourself and be like, all right, why did I fail? And it forces For sure. you to be like, all right, was this, did I not study hard enough? I'm not in this. And like, do I not have the mindset I need? Do I, or is it something that something else failed? Like you just, it sort, it just really forces you to either do better or to give up.
1: Right. And I've had, I had a friend of mine who, uh, at the regionals, he had never failed anything. He'd al- always passed everything. A uh, really nice guy, but he ended up failing upgrade Ooh. and it like broke him. He, he had never had any failure before, so it, it, it broke him. And the problem, I think, if you don't have any failures, is, is sometimes you 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 think, oh, oh, I'm I'm just you know what I'm doing now is good enough, and I'm kind of the reverse that when after because I failed that very first one. That feeling was so unpleasant. I was like, I don't want to experience that again. And so it, I, I sometimes go too far over the top. Like I got flashcards. I showed up like day one at the regional. I had every limitation and memory item already memorized verbatim. I had all this stuff. Like I walked into class, like let's do this, and it was like nobody had done any of that. I was like so over the top prepared, but I just hated that feeling of of, of feeling stupid and behind and and failing in that check. I hated that so much. I, I went the other way. So um, yeah, when he fa- when he failed that upgrade, it, it almost broke him. So he ended up. A leaving and going going back to what he knew before which was corporate and that was it he, he stopped he stopped doing airlines altogether and i thought Interesting. okay
0: so yeah, you're yeah. definitely everyone's going to face that adversity in their career and sometimes it's better to face that kind of failure and adversity early on in your career because it lights the fire it lets you know that you're not perfect you're not the, the best pilot you're gonna have a bad day and you learn early enough whether or not you, you have the drive for this because it's really going to test you. It's going to be, it's going to make you ask questions and questions you don't want to ask yourself and questions you have to come up with answers. And if, if it, maybe it happens later in your career, maybe you're just going to, I mean, I'm not saying he gave up, but he might've been able to try it again or do it again. But sounds like it, it, it can break you and it can put you in a situation where maybe you revert back to what you know that you can do, which there's nothing wrong with that. You can be a great corporate pilot. You can have a great career. That's what I'm doing in corporate. But if you face that adversity and you overcome it, I mean, that just the feeling and the and the gratitude you have from that is just something that you can't compare to anything else.
1: Aviation is super humbling, right? It's, you'll never know everything. And I mean, you know, I'm flying 747s with guys that have been flying for 30 years, right? And some of them have 15 or 20 years on the 7-4. And just the other day we were talking about something I said, no, it's like this in the box in the computer system. I was like, no, it's watch this. And I showed him, he was like, crap, I've never seen that before. Right. And if, if you don't have that humble mentality, I think it can be very difficult to do well. Like you have to realize you're not going to know it all. And it's just, you always have to keep learning. Otherwise you're going to, you're going to fall behind.
0: Those are wise words. hundred percent agree. Uh, so you were doing your training, you finished your training out, obviously talked about issues with the private pilot license. Did you have any other failures at all? Or was that it? That was it. So then you go up and you you don't become a CFI, right? You found a route away from CFI, correct? Correct. Yeah. So you got a job flying 135 with what, 250 hours you said, or around some time like that? Yeah. I think maybe 260, something like that. I'm guessing people listening to this are like, all right, how the heck did he do that? <laughs> I want that job. What did you do? Was it uh purely connections? Was it right place, right time? Or was it just you put in the work and searched it out and found the job?
1: It was a combination of all those things. I mean, I, uh, I wrote everybody that I knew who, was, who were pilots or all the friends that I had met. And I, I just kind of just kind of pounded the streets. And I was doing that while I was kind of putting together the money for being a CFI. So I was kind of working every po- You know, the thing is, is like you kind of work every possible angle you can get until one, one option opens up. Right. And that's what I was doing. And that door opened and I jumped on it right away. I ended up living up in the Northeast and, uh, I'm, I'm not really a cold weather person, but you know, I was like, all right, I'll shovel my car out every day and I'll drive through the snow to fly a plane. I'm pretty sure it's going to fall apart, but you know, when it get some multi-engine time and I'm just going to just rack up what I can. And, and I worked, I worked every day. I worked on my days off because I, I didn't, you know, when you're new and you're low on time, every minute counts. Right. So I just worked as hard as I could on all my off days. And to make extra money, but also to get the hours because I didn't know, you know, would there be another 9-11 or something that would stunt this opportunity that I had. So I really worked really hard for several years, including on my off days, because I thought, well, this is an opportunity that I have right now where aviation is really you know, I can get this and maybe I time it right and it works out. Okay. And it and it worked out pretty good.
0: Yeah. it's definitely an industry about timing and, and luck essentially. I mean, you can, we could both be the same pilot, but you get hired a day before me and I find myself furloughed and you're, you're still, you're a captain, you know, like it's all about timing, all about luck. And it's very interesting. So I skipped CFI too. And I had a similar, similar mindset. I was saving, I was actually doing CFI training, but at the same time I was applying for every job I could possibly find and I had this goal of like my end goal, but you, it's okay to, to take a different route, to take a, a veer off track if you find something better and just keep veering until you get to either a new end goal that you develop on the way or the original end goal. It sounds exactly like what you're saying or what you did, but it brings up a very interesting point. I had maintenance issues at my first job. I overlooked maybe some some maintenance issues on the planes, not like illegally overlooked, but I just didn't know because I was such a young pilot. I didn't know what to look for. Sounds like similar situation. You were flying a plane that you didn't know if it was going to fall apart. Like you didn't have much trust in that aircraft. What can you say to a new pilot that's, that wants that out, that wants that multi-engine time, that wants that out, that doesn't want to see a fly, and they're going to a place that maybe doesn't have uh, the best maintenance history or maybe just, they don't feel comfortable flying this airplane all the time. What, what did you do to kind of get through that other than just like hoping and praying the plane didn't fall apart while you're flying?
1: Um. <laughs> You, you know, one of the things that i kind of come to realize now is looking back on it is, is just, especially in, in it, especially in those planes, it's just how resilient planes are, like how, how much they can actually survive with stuff broken on them that they will still get you somewhere. If you've done your homework and you've prepared and you prepare for your flight plan and you're kind of doing those things that your flight instructor told you, which you thought, yeah, yeah, whatever, but it's always be thinking about like a, a backup or an alternative and don't let your mind, you know, go to sleep because you're like, cool, I'm in the air. It doesn't matter now. You, you can't have that like kind of lax mentality, the crappier equipment that you're flying. As you get more options, you kind of get a little bit lazier. Unfortunately, like my mental math skills have gone out the window and, you know, uh, things like that, you know, you have four engines and you're kind of like, Oh yeah, I got VNAV and all the things to make my life really easy. So, but yeah, when I was new, it was always kind of looking for those options. And while I was working and getting maybe 90 something hours, uh, flight hours a month, uh, cause I was picking up stuff or maybe close to a hundred hours. I was every day looking online and, and messaging people saying like, Hey, do you know anybody that's looking for a job? And I was applying for jobs I wasn't even remotely qualified for, but I was like, you never know. Right. You just, so just sending out the apps to everybody and there was, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many I sent out, but I, it was a lot. And most of them never even
0: responded, but yeah. that's the way it goes. Yeah, it is. Uh, is the way that goes. Uh, when you were flying that airplane up in the Northeast, did you have any maintenance issues in flight that you can talk about? Did you have any kind of like, Oh crap moments or like, Oh, this is not good.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, several, I mean, we had stuff where like the landing gear, there was a plane that they're having landing gear issues. I had to like jump up in flight and like, on my hand and knees like hand pumping the landing gear down while these three passengers stared at me like what is going on with this guy like they didn't realize what was going on i guess they didn't see the absolute sheer panic on my face and we're like doing flybys on the tower can you see our landing gear down yeah it looks down to us we're not getting the indication on the lights and um one of the maintenance guys this airline has now closed but uh, one of the maintenance guys you know they were they were like okay cool it's fixed now you know we come in the next morning like it's fixed now why don't you guys go up and test fly it? And I said, how about you come with us in the plane and we'll go test fly it together.
0: What do you say like, after that? I, or was it, he like, I yeah, said, or that he was like, kind of like, uh...
1: And I was <laughs> like, when you're comfortable to get in the plane, then we'll go fly it. Like, like yeah, come That's back funny. in like 30 minutes, right? So, so true.
0: Yeah, it's like, I give me another day. I got something else. I, I got a screw I need to tighten.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, part of it wasn't really their fault. They were, these were new mechanics, right? And they were getting padded by their boss to get stuff done as quickly as possible. And, um, you know, aviation has changed in the sense, in that sense as well, where there's an hour shortage on mechanics and, and those guys are now kind of having their opportunity to be well respected and for their hard work. Right. So at this time, it wasn't like that. It was kind of like when you were a pilot and I was making like $10 a block hour, I think is what I was making. Right. It was like $10 a block hour and no per diem. You know what I mean? Like, You've flown four hours, you've got $40 and after taxes, you're like, great, I can get a sandwich, you know, it's not, not great. So, you know, things have obviously changed quite a bit.
0: Only so much canned tuna one person can eat, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and ramen. Yeah. yeah and, and ramen. Canned offer. tuna might've been too much of a luxury back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, uh, it's funny how things have changed. And even with the, with the shortage of mechanics, it brings up another thing where, maybe it's easier for them to overlook because they don't have the experience that they had before. Now, it's not saying they're ha- they a bad mechanic. It's the same thing with new pilots. You just have to keep an eye out. You have to make sure they're doing everything right, and it's more more pressure on the instructors or the people afterwards to double-check and make sure everything's good just because without that experience, you don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of the fact. Like, new pilots just don't know everything.
1: Right, and, and unfortunately, I remember talking to a guy who was a corporate pilot, As I was going through flight school, he was a a friend of mine that I had met. And he had said, you know, I don't know how many hours he had, but he said, yeah, I I can't believe I survived the first two or 3,000 hours. And I was like, you couldn't believe you survived the first two or 3,000 hours. Like now looking back on it, I'm like, how did I do a solo cross country with 30 hours? Like I literally knew nothing. Right. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you, you just, you kind of trade that luck for experience, right? You, you, you got to get a certain amount of luck to get through your first little bit. And then you got to keep adding to your experience because sooner or later, you're going to need to fall back on your knowledge, right? Absolutely. You can't just rely on luck forever.
0: No, definitely. Luck will luck will run out and luck will get you in trouble. And it's something to keep in, in the back of your head. Be like, Hey, I think I've gotten really lucky the last couple of days. Like maybe I should sit this flight out, you know, like don't always push your luck because it's not always going to be there. And it might work nine times out of 10, but that one time it doesn't work. It's when it goes really, really bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the the planning and the preparation to make sure that you're, I think, if you've planned and you've prepared as much as you possibly can, you're really going to increase your odds of having everything work out. Okay. But I've seen pilots that are just like, Oh yeah, no, it's going to be fine. We'll just go up and we'll check it and see how it goes. I'm like, uh, well, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And that's kind of the other thing is, is, especially when you're new is, is understanding the importance of crew resource management and speaking with the other pilot and having the confidence to speak up and say something. I, I was flying charters when I was new. I was probably like, uh, I had less than a thousand hours. I was flying with a guy. He, he was a older guy. He was 68. Uh, he was old B 52 pilot from the Vietnam era. I mean, the guy had a ton of experience and I think he had close to about 12 or 13,000 hours of flight time and no airline time. So that's a lot of like part 91 and mill time, right. To get 13,000 hours. And we were taken off and there was this shower right at the end of the runway. And we pulled onto the runway and it was just, the tower was like like this the stream was running right down at the end of the runway. And I said, Man, I don't I don't think that's a great thing to take off into because if there's a big downdraft, it's gonna just shove our little plane into the ground. And he's, he's like, All right, cool, I'm cool with that. So we just we called back the tower and we taxied off the runway and we just waited for five minutes and it moved off the field and off we went. We were down in South Texas. And uh, as we were flying, he was saying, you know, I felt comfortable with it, but you know, if you don't feel comfortable with it, what's five minutes? in the grand scheme of it, not a big deal, right? So um, I I talked about it in one of these videos was the most important phrase that I learned kind of early on was I don't feel comfortable with whatever. And that should be a trigger to any other pilot that you're flying with of I need to reevaluate my decision. If this guy's not comfortable, is there something that he's seeing that I'm not seeing? So that's kind of my trigger word if if something's happening that I don't feel good about is saying you know, I don't feel comfortable with X and that's, that's
0: what I use. Yeah, no, that's an important, and I kind of always say you got to, one of the most important words you can say in aviation is no, figuring out how to say no, when to say no. And you're right. I I don't feel comfortable is another great phrase to, to say because it causes the other pilot to rethink. It causes the other pilot to to just make sure that this is something he wants to do. And it's kind of not, it's like not necessarily questioning an authority, but it slides in the, the uncomfortable and it makes them think like, all right, well, let me think about this and why should I do this? And it gives him a chance to either explain why he feels it's okay. And then ask you if you want to do it. Or it's like, you know what? Actually, that's a great idea. I was rushing. I was going too fast. Let's not take off into this huge red cell thunderstorm that's being painted on radar. And let's just sit here for five minutes and then we'll fly in perfectly clear VFR conditions, you know? Right. It either makes
1: them sell you on it or if they can't sell themselves on it in their head, they go, yeah, okay, cool. What's a couple of minutes, right? Yep,
0: absolutely. So. And, oh what would you say to someone? How, do, how did you feel comfortable doing that? Because obviously in, when you're a new pilot and you see someone with 13,000 hours and they flew in the military and they have all this really cool resume, what do you, how do you? how do you get to the point where you feel comfortable? I know that it's something that you should feel comfortable, but it's different saying you should and you actually do. Was there anything that you had to do to, to feel comfortable? At the end of the day, it was like, dude, I don't want to die. Let's not do that.
1: Yeah. When I did my IFR check, ride, I did it with the guy who was a United pilot. Um, And it was, it was, I guess he did it on the side. So he was a United pilot and then he did check rides. And I remember asking him because at one point I was planning to go overseas and fly overseas. And, you know, as you go to some countries, their captain is God and nobody else matters type personality. Right. And so I asked him. Hey, well, if, cause at that point I was still looking for any possible opportunity. I was like, maybe I got to go fly in Indonesia or wherever I need to go to get flight time. I'm going to go there and do it. And, uh, so I asked him, what, what do you think, it, you know, what in this scenario, and this was, I think after my check ride, after I'd passed my IFR check ride. And he said, you know, the really important thing to say is like, I'm not comfortable with that. That was something that he had taught me. And, and I think along my, along my career, it's been just asking people who, who have more experience, like why this, or how would you do this? Or, and getting that in a, in a timeframe that it's not, um, not, is not a bad point, right? Like I was flying with a guy just recently and and he was like, I'm going to do the descent like this. And I said, well, why? I'm just curious. Like, and you kind of have to broach it in a way, especially when you're a first officer, that's not a, um, challenging way, which is, you've got to be a bit of a chameleon. And I just said, Hey, I've never seen anybody do that before. I want to learn why your thought process is that way. So that way I can maybe change my, my strategy when I'm doing that. And that makes them kind of explain it. Now, his strategy on why he did that, I, I didn't necessarily agree with, but it wasn't anything that concerned me with safety, but I'm always asking those people, why are you doing it that way? Or how would you handle this thing? And I, I used to ask guys that, you know, like, like a guy I flew with 13,000 hours, why or how would you do this? And, you know, there's a wealth of knowledge there. So asking those people, those types of questions is really, it's a win-win, right? They feel empowered because you're kind of inflating their ego because you're putting them as an authority figure. And it's good for you because you have 500 or a thousand hours and you really don't know a lot of things. So it's good to have that kind of mentor relationship.
0: Agree, and It's important, like you said, to, to phrase it in a correct way. Don't phrase it in a challenging, you're an idiot, like how dare you ever think about doing this. Phrase it in a way where you you just want to learn. You want to know why. And through that conversation or through the question that you ask, maybe he's like, you know what? Actually, that's not the best idea. I don't know why I thought that. I, th- I did this before, but it's like, actually, it actually turns out to be a completely different situation. So there, there's a place for that. And you, that's actually a huge or was a huge issue in uh, some Asian cultures and some other cultures as well. Like, you're talking about with well, the captain is God. The, the first officer is there to sit there and do what he says and never question it. And that doesn't matter how unsafe the ride gets, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. And I've, I've flown with guys who, you know, back in the day, you know, 09 that they went over to the Middle East or they went to Asia to get a job. And, and there's still a bit of that culture, unfortunately, at the airlines. And it's changing, but it, it's still, you know, when I go overseas in my uniform, there's a lot of countries you go to where, you get a lot of respect, especially when they see the equipment that you're flying. So there's still a lot of respect for pilots, and then there's still a, a chain of command. So you kind of have to figure out your own way to be respectful to your captain because at the end of the day, he, he, he's going to make the final decision. And unless it's jeopardizing your life or the safety of flight, you're just going to have to go with it. But finding a way to kind of be that chameleon to, to, to show them or get them to sell you on the idea to where you feel comfortable or to get you to sell themselves on the idea of why maybe a better plan would be reasonable. Agree, so.
0: totally agree. You could kind of said any better. That's good stuff, man. Um, when you were doing your your training and even after your training, just when you're doing charter and uh, your other jobs, what was your uh, like kind of end goal? Everyone kind of sees themselves as what kind of pilot they can be, but was it to be flying for Delta? Was it to fly for uh, some crazy airline, or were you just kind of long for the ride and seeing where it took you?
1: Um, No, I guess initially my thought was I I actually wanted to fly like a global or a G550 because they went all these different random places. I thought that seemed really cool. And at the time I had a a friend that I knew, she was flying a, a global for a guy and she was going to cool places. And there was a lot of like downtime where she was, you know, getting paid to just hang out. And it wasn't a specific company. It was just one boss and Obviously, as you know, in the corporate world, those are really hard to find, those jobs where you you like your boss, and he likes you, and you're going to keep that job, but those are, those are pretty sweet gigs if you can find them. Uh, so that was kind of my initial thought, was to do something like that, but then I was flying with some guys who were doing corporate gigs, and just life didn't work out for them that well. You know, they just got hit with the age extension, or whatever, or the company they were you know back in the day there was a lot of kind of fly-by-night charter companies and you know they they were making 120 and then they were making zero and then you know as you were just these big swings and that's where i thought maybe i need to get something a little bit more stable and the airlines had a little bit more stability that structure had a little bit more stability and then the airline that i fly for now i i kind of have that charter lifestyle where i'm going to random places like i'll be in shanghai today and then i'll be in the you know south america in two days and i'll have longer layovers so that i kind of find what i I found kind of what was a good fit for me and my personality i i always like to travel i like to explore and go to random weird places and i don't have a problem walking around by myself Uh, Wherever I go, so it, for me, for me, this was kind of a good
0: fit. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, it, whatever, like, kind of like you said, you figured out what worked for you, because that's what you had to do. Uh, There's an adage out there, and it's kind of a just kind of like taboo to maybe think that you don't want to be an airline pilot, or you can't be successful unless you're a Delta airline pilot, or you're flying a 787 for American, but. Like, you need to figure out what you determine success in your career and what you think is more valuable. Is it making as much money as you possibly can when you're 65 years old, or is it the quality of life you can have in between? I'm sure there's jobs and I'm sure people go to Delta and have both, or you can have both wherever you go, but you just have to find out what fits for you and your family.
1: For sure. I mean, that's, uh, that's a perfect way to say it. Cause, like, take like uh, Allegiant, for an example, you know, you're home every night. And for a lot of people, that for them is, hey, this is cool. I got a family. I'm home every night. And I love that. For me, I would find that boring to hit three cities again and again and go home every night. That I, I like the adventure of being out and you know, ending up somewhere where I really had no plan to be here, but now I'm here. I, I like that. So for me, that was a good fit. But everybody's different. And like what you said, you, you, you're going to have people who are going to judge you for where you're at. When I was, uh, when I was flying you know, charters, people were like, don't you want to be an airline pilot? Okay, so then I'm flying airlines and they're like, don't you want to fly big planes? and and now i'm flying a 747 and people are like don't you want to be a captain and it's like okay when when is it enough for you I guys know. right so
0: yeah, uh, it, you can't please everyone and everyone's gonna be like, well, you're not a real pilot unless you're flying for the airlines. Like your little corporate jet doesn't count. It's like, oh, well, you're never going to, you're not going to upgrade. You're just an FO on a corporate jet. Like that's lame. It's like, no, dude, I'm like, I love my job. I love what I'm doing. Like get out of here. Like something's wrong with you. to would have to comment on what I'm doing right now, but they're going to be there. People are always going to be there asking, especially people that don't understand aviation. Like, oh, what airline do you fly for? You're like, oh, I fly for corporate. You're like, I fly for cargo. It's like, oh, well, when are you going to go commercial? You're like, well, I am commercial. Thank you very much. That's a rude comment to say, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just there's always gonna be some kind of questioning or comment like that out there,
1: right? I get asked a lot, like, or do, don't you want to be a commercial pilot? I'm like, what do you think I do, yeah, right? Like, I, uh... it, yeah, but I mean, I fly. It's weird. My airline, I fly cargo and passengers, so I, I get a mix. So I've had 450 people on the plane, and then I've had I've flown that 74 totally empty, and I've flown the Dreamlifter. I've flown a really wide variety, and I'm really thankful to for being the having the ability to the opportunity to do that. Uh, I did, I flew passengers actually on IOE and there's nothing like, you know, telling 18 flight attendants that you're doing your third leg ever and you got 450 people on board and you just like, you know, I've always prided myself at the regionals of having really good landing. So, you know, and in, in, at the regionals you're doing, you know, four day trips with the same flight attendants. And so you would always be talking and laughing and, and after the fact. So if it went bad, it was all right. Cause you had four more landings or five more landings to do that same day. So you could kind of make up for it, but on the seventh floor, you know, you, you might get one landing and then you don't have a landing for three or four more times. You might never see those people again. So if you smash one in, they'll know and they'll remember. So luckily it was, it was, it was my third landing, I think. And it was, but well, I did, I did two, I did two passenger flights on IOE. And the first one was in kind of a crosswind and the check airman was super happy. And the second one was I don't know, in my mind, still like the s- smoothest landing I've ever done still to date. And uh, I was so excited. Once we landed, we came in and we, sh- we shut down everything. We-, we had to do a, sh- there was a shutdown on the secure checklist. I was so excited about it that we came in, parked the brake. And once you parked the brake, the captain takes over the plane. I-, I jumped out to go talk trash to the flight attendant that was kind of <laughs> giving me a hard time in a fun way. She was kind of like, all right Kelsey let's see what you can do so you know I, I ran out to like go talk trash to her and by the time I came back the checker man's like we still had two other checklists to do it I was like <laughs> oh yeah but he was like I'll give you a pass because that landing was so good so <laughs> yeah, was like, that's
0: awesome yeah. it's good to have a cool checker uh, check airman every once in a while that's like not a complete dick and uh is cool about it <laughs> that's absolutely, funny. That's a absolutely absolutely yeah this guy was great um, so yeah, so you talk about how you, uh, went cargo, you went, uh, oh, first you went to the regional. Was it, was it a hard decision for you to go from kind of charter jobs to regional or was it like, nope, just next step, next ladder to climb?
1: Yeah. I mean, as, as that, as I got closer, you know, once I got to that stage, I kind of made that decision. I wanted to go to the airlines. I mean, my whole strategy has always been in anything in life is like figuring out the end goal and then working backwards. So you kind of figure out like, hey, what does 50-year-old Kelsey really want? What does he want in his lifestyle? And then working it backwards, kind of like you. When you're looking at the end goal and working it backwards, once you figure out what you where you want to be, you can figure out the steps to get there. And and once I'd made the decision to go to the airlines, I started working backwards of, of how to get there. And I just, um, you know, these are the steps I need to take in order to get there. So, you know, flying, I was flying a nice thing about flying charters instead of being a CFI was when I went to the airline, I was already used to dealing with operations and dealing with passengers and all these things. And, you know, for me, going to regionals was really pretty easy besides learning the glass. Uh, So once I did that, it was like, cool, you know, no big deal. And some of my friends that were flight instructors had struggled a little bit just because, you know, you're doing pattern work for 1500 hours. It doesn't necessarily make you a great pilot. And the things that you're teaching a lot of people. It isn't really relevant to what you're about
0: to go do right, right? so no definitely I, I would agree with you too I think I learned some valuable information with life on the road and it set me up for for check rides and kind of operations outside on the road whether it be passengers or even cargo you know it kind of it forces you to think on the, on the run and make a job work and a lot of companies they want to see you be able to handle some kind of problem and not have to cause a big fuss you, you have the flexibility to figure out how to do it and get the plane down safely or to make sure the mission's done you know exactly Exactly. What did you think your, your time at the regional? Was it everything you thought it would be? Or was it kind of a a big awakening to the one twenty one world as far as for the training or what do you mean? Uh, we can start with training. So kind of just like overall, just like the whole experience, like the type of flying, the, the lifestyle, the training, the, just everything that encompasses a regional airline.
1: So, so looking back on it now, it was, you know, and I know they said this, it was going to be like, you're going to miss it. I'm like, Six legs a day? No, I'll be fine. Thank you. Um, but I kind of look back at like it was high school, right? I guess is the best equivalent, right? Like when I was in high school, I played sports. Uh, I was friends with everybody and we would do, you know, you knew everybody and everybody knew you. And that's kind of what the regionals were like to me now looking back on it, because we would do a trip with uh, flight attendants and they would bid, a lot of them would bid onto my, onto my pattern. So it'd be you and, you know, four people, and you would go out, and you'd have trips together, and then you'd hang out in the, in, the, in the plane together between as you're turning the plane, and you really made a lot of good friends, and to this day, there's still flight attendants and, and pilots that I met there that I talk to them all the time, so it, it, to me, the regionals were like high school, and it also was like high school in the sense of it's kind of getting ready, ready for the real world, right, so that, that was kind of my, my overall experience of it, and you know, you just have to realize that the regionals are not going to ever treat you like it's a long term job. Right. You're using them for flight time. They're using you for cheap labor. Uh, it's Just kind of it is what it is. So that, that was kind of my my view on the regionals. But I really looking back on it, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and I, I guess I in a way, I think I wish I had just enjoyed it more. But but you know you're lo- I was looking at it like a stepping stone like I'm using this to get to the next step and for me it worked out right and so I have no regrets and but I you could I could have enjoyed it more from the sense like every minute that I was there it was like from day one okay how much time do I need to upgrade okay cool now I'm, I'm okay great upgrade And now how much time do I need till I can apply somewhere else and I was always applying and trying to get out of the regional so uh, I, I never really took the time to quote unquote enjoy it, but uh I ha- I had a lot of fun looking back on I just you know didn't enjoy
0: the money very much. Yeah, yeah I I can see that definitely because the money wasn't always what it is now. What what you talked about getting out of the regionals, what did that look like for you? Were you taking any job possible to get out of the regionals or were you like, nope, I'm only going to Delta United, American Southwest, or you're like, no, you know, I mean, I know you're flying cargo and passengers now, so that doesn't, that means you didn't go that side, but in the time, were you, were you willing to go anywhere that hired you first or was it very specific places you wanted to go?
1: Um, I, that, that's a great question. I, I actually had an opportunity to to go fly in the 11th uh, when I was at the regionals. I, I had applied to a place. I started I started applying everywhere. I was just like, it was kind of like when you're you know 16 and you need a date for prom and you're just like, I need just to get a <laughs> date and I'll ask as many people as I can and then we'll see what's out there. And that's kind of what I did. I just started applying everywhere and I started doing some interviews and I finally, you know, started to get people to respond to my application. And so it started to really make me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm getting close. And I did some interviews with places and I was just like, and I still looking back on, it, I'm like, I'm really happy about making this decision. Like there was places where I did the interview and I was like, I just, this isn't the right fit for me. And I, and I passed on it. So it, it was kind of an interesting choice for me to, to do that, to pass on something. And I wrote the HR, I wrote the HR person. I said, Hey, listen, um, thank you so much for the opportunity and everything. I, I'm, I'm going to, at this time, I'm just going to pass on, on this and I'll be in touch if, you know, if things in the future change. And so I, it was kind of a maturity thing for me. And so I didn't want to burn that bridge in case I needed to, wanted to come back to it later. But, um, I just applied everywhere that I could and anybody that would take me, which is kind of what I did to get my very first job applied everywhere. Of course, I had more opportunities now, but I just applied everywhere. And then as people started to interview me, I would research those companies and talk to the people who I knew there. Or, you know, I'd ask my friends, do you know anybody there? Great, let me talk to them. And I would talk to them and get an inside track of what's going on. Is this a good fit for me? And yeah, that's kind of how it worked
0: out. When you say a fit for you, like obviously you apply places, you get excited, you go see, and then you learn more about it. What were you talking about when it wasn't a good fit for you? Is it lifestyle? Is it pay? Is it career? Career earnings, career opportunity? What were you looking for in a fit? Like this, is, you want this to be your last job, never apply again. You want to make as much money as possible. What, what was Kelsey looking for for a fit?
1: Uh, I mean, when uh, I, I, I was kind of okay to for both. Like, you know, there's a certain point at the regionals where, you've got enough flight time in your in your RJ where any more flight time is not going to be beneficial. And I knew from flying with guys that were um, part of Comair and other regionals that had gone out of business that had just rode that pony all the way into the ground just how detrimental it was. So once I started having that flight time, I was like, okay, well, I need to get to something bigger and at least open another opportunity. And that's what I ended up doing. So I was like, I don't know if there's going to be the... I started playing everywhere. I don't know if this is going to be my, my final place that I want to be, but I definitely knew I needed to get into some other equipment. I needed to get into an MD-11 or something, whatever it was, just to show I'm different than the other 20,000 regional pilots out there. This, like, I've passed this other check ride, and I've got some international experience, or I've got whatever. And it just so happened that I got the interview at the airline that I'm at now, and I came so overprepared for that. Like I did when I showed up for my, my day one at the regionals, I was so overprepared I, in the interview the chief pilot was asking me some stuff and I broke down this company's business model in such great detail. He just started laughing and he's like, I think, you know, our business plan better than I do. Right. And that I think is what helped him, you know, sell him on the idea that. I really wanted to be here. And, uh, yeah. And you know, it's, it's all about preparation and the fact that I was that prepared and I knew that much about the company. And, and when I did that research, it got me excited about, Hey, long-term, this could be a really good fit for me. And, and, you know, obviously right now it's, it's working out pretty well.
0: Yeah. Being in the cargo world is pretty nice right now. Cargo seems to be doing all right, whether it's where you're at, whether it's a, just anywhere that has cargo, it seems to be okay right now where everyone else is just hoping for the best. Um, you, you brought up a good point where when you go into an interview, I mean, it, you don't have to take it to the level you did where you know everything about the business and you are explaining the business plan, but to just to do something to make you stick out, just doing like the very little, like whether you just coordinate the company colors of the, what you're wearing, or you just, maybe you laminate your logbook or maybe you make it look pretty, maybe you have everything you need, just like one little thing that you can do to help separate and make that interview more personal so they can understand who you are, how much you want this. And uh, that's going to stick out and help you out a lot. So,
1: yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that somebody told me and I've never told anybody this, but this was something back in the days where the job fairs, and I I think they're kind of going away, right? They're not doing as many job fairs like they they used to, but I what I did when I started applying to some of those places is I made business cards with my name and my, all my, like a a mini resume on a little business card. And I used it and I put it in the colors of that airline and I name and all that stuff. And when I'd go talk to the recruiters, I would give them that card. And I remember talking to this HR lady and I handed her the card and she was like, this is genius. And I was like, Yeah. Right. Like, and the thing is, is they have that card now and it's got your name and your flight time and all your stuff. And that goes in their pocket and and maybe they call you and maybe they don't, but you know, maybe when they get home or back, you know, done with the job fair, they're unloading all their stuff and they see that card there that might trigger their memory of you because you did something a little bit different than, than the other person. They, that it didn't really work out for me, but it was a great idea. And again, you just got to keep shooting your shot and see,
0: see what sticks. Yeah, it's funny. You gotta you gotta do something to make yourself stick out from uh, from everyone. And that was kind of going away with how how airlines were literally hiring anyone. You know, it was like whoever had a pulse, right. so it was almost like it hired. But in the next couple of years, you're gonna have to figure out a way to stick out. So use this time right now. Like, don't just sit there and try not to do anything. But use this time to to brush up on something and help you stick out. Do something to add your resume. Maybe you you are volunteering. Maybe you're helping. Maybe you just help make a difference. Just something so small where it's just time. Doesn't have to be anything with money. It could just be donating your time uh, making masks, just doing whatever you can to help you, uh, help you stick out and what will be a, probably a competitive pool for a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's about who, you know, your connections and things like that for sure, without a doubt. And especially at this time, I know at, at my airline, we're one of the few that is hiring And If you don't have an internal letter recommendation right now, this is what somebody told me. If you don't have an internal letter recommendation, you're, you can't even get an interview. Right. And And I know this seems silly, but the the lady who had offered me the job, I still have her voicemail, uh, even though my phone's upgraded, I got an iPhone, so it just keeps moving the voicemails over. uh, I still have her voicemail where she called to offer me the job on my phone. And every six months when I go for recurrent, I still go and I say hi to her and I sit down in her office and I still talk with her. And I know that seems silly, like, well, you already got the job, like, what does it matter? But. I really appreciated so much the opportunity and, and again, knowing somebody that's in HR at your company, you don't know, they might be, you might be at a regional and they're just like an HR person that got you the job and you may not care, but you don't know in six months they could be at Delta and that may be your dream job. And she knows you and knows what a good person you are. Well, then maybe she's going to help you get an interview there. You just never know.
0: Absolutely. And that's great advice. Fostering relationships, fostering, because no other pilot's doing that. No other pilot's going to, to be the person, going up to the person at training when they're probably very hectic, a lot going on in their life. They're not going to go talk to the person that called them to hire them. It's like, And the person, they probably call a lot of people to hire or not hire. And for you to do that helps them stick out in your mind. And you, like you said, you never know. You don't know the friends that they have. Maybe her best friend or roommate works for Delta. Maybe they work for NASA. I don't know, whatever you want to do with your life. It's like these people can help you out and fostering those relationships, making sure people have a great image of you will definitely help you out in the future in aviation or outside of life as well.
1: For sure. And that's, what's been kind of weird with the YouTube and Instagram. I've started making friends with, you know, I started the Instagram and YouTube game a little later than a lot of the other people, but uh, I have started to make friendships with some of these guys that I've talked to and, you know, we message back and forth and do DMs and, and, just even outside of aviation where people who have no involvement in aviation, but maybe they ran across some of my videos and they really like them that they'll send me messages and you're getting DMS from people with these blue check marks. And you're like, "What? this is crazy. You know, like just little old me airline pilot. How do I know big celebrity you, but yeah, now you're DMing with these people. And, and it's about again, fostering those relationships, even though it's somebody you may, you you, you may never have anything that you can ever do with them, but it's, it's good to, you know,
0: always be having those connections because you never know right yeah. you just never know that brings a good segue and we're almost done i won't, won't hog much more of your time but it brings a good segue to why youtube why instagram i mean i get on instagram everyone just kind of has an instagram to share what they're doing but why youtube what was your kind of goal and intent was it just to share cool stuff or were you there to educate kind of were you was you hoping that it would turn into having two hundred thousand followers or whatever subscribers whatever it may be down the road um uh, you know,
1: I was on these long layovers. Uh, I think my very first video I did was in Hong Kong, and I, I kept getting these like two days and three day layovers, and in there, and I started to get bored. And I, I was like, I need to do something else because I'd always had that grind mentality. It's just been who it's just who I am as a person. That having two days off and three days off was like, what What am I going to do? Like, this is too long to do nothing. And then. I it kind of just came to me as an idea of like, Oh, this would be a good thing. I can kind of like show other pilot stuff. And then it's just been evolving. Like it started off with very, like just a pilot type videos. And then it's kind of evolved more into like an entertainment thing. And I'm kind of educating through the entertainment side. And that's kind of been the niche that is just kind of where I let pe- I read all the comments that people leave the good and the terribly mean comments that people will leave me. And I, I read all those because that's what gives me like, that tells me, Hey, what do people want to see? And these Hollywood versus reality that have been a huge success for me. It wasn't even my idea. It was somebody that watched, was watching some of my early videos. And he wrote me, he wrote me a message and said, Hey man, I really love if you could explain, I think it was like flight or Sully. Can you explain like what's real and what's not real in that? I was like, well, sure. And I did that. And I posted it and it was just by accident because I, the time zone difference, they ended up posting at two in the morning. Right. And I was like, whoops, you know, was two in the morning time. Eastern time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a horrible time to post that video. And it was like 10 views. And then it was somewhere, uh, you know, like two months later, for whatever reason, Google just took that and put it on everybody's homepage. And it got like a couple hundred thousand views in like three days. And I was like, what in the world, you know? And then that's kind of what, what fostered that. And I just, you know, I read what people are saying to me and I try to respond to people kind of the rule that I have for myself is in the first hour of posting anything, I'll, I'll reply as much as I can to people and answer whatever questions that I can. So that's been kind of my, my, you know, I want to give back as much as I can and, and that's kind of the way I can do that with the information that I give or answer yeah. people's questions in that first hour.
0: What would you say so like YouTube and Instagram and social media can be very dangerous. You know it can be dangerous to your mindset, it can be dangerous to a community, it can be dangerous with you're always trying to get the best content going over and over and over and over again like what you can do to improve and it could put you in a situation maybe you're you're taking pictures of stuff you shouldn't be taking pictures of like in in um in the sterile cockpit or whatever it may be. What do you do to kind of like stay sane, to like remove yourself from chasing after subscribers or fame or whatever it may be?
1: Um I, you know I just kind of, I just try to be me. You know, I, I guess it's part of being a little bit older is that you kind of, you kind of know who you are. And it's, I, what you said is exactly true because once you get a little bit of that taste of like social validity, it's kind of like, oh, you just became like a quarterback at, at, at high school or college and, and everybody wants you. But now like you want to have that like five seconds left in the game and you threw the touchdown pass. Like you want to have that again and again and again, that feeling so it, you know, that's, it's, 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 a, it's a tough thing. And I've, and I've talked with some of the other guys about that and they said, you know, you just can't chase that. And that's easier said than done, but, uh, it, it's, it's tough, but I just try to put out my whole thing since the beginning is I just try to give value as much value as I can give. And, and whether that be, I, I used to, I had no social media before I started all this stuff. I had no Facebook or Instagram, none of that. So it's kind of weird that I started this. I'm just like this scale. My friends were like, you're going to do what, you know, but that's what I started doing. It was just about giving value. And I used to never put my, on my Instagram, if you look at the very beginning, there's no pictures of me because I was just showing kind of like the lifestyle. But what I realized is that by not putting photos of myself or by putting photos of myself, people see themselves in me doing something that maybe they wish they'd done or that they wanted to do or that they want to do in the future. And so I started putting in photos of me doing things around the world or on the plane. And that allowed them to see, Oh, I'm, that could be me in five years or 10 years, or that could have been me. I I don't want to be a pilot, but that looks really fun. So that's kind of what I've started adding that in.
0: What do you say to something? Okay. Obviously everyone's here. They're listening to this. Their their dream right now, more, more kids dreams is to be a YouTuber rather than be an astronaut, a basketball player, a, a pilot. What do you say to someone that is a pilot and they are looking to, to have the same success as you or be the next Captain Joe or mentor pilot or insert favorite YouTuber here? What do you say to someone that is going through this and they're just like starting out? How, to, how do you stay humble? How do you, like, how do you make sure you're doing it for the right reasons? It kind of backs off of what you just said a little bit, but like what, would you, what kind of advice would you give to someone that's just starting out and doing this?
1: It, well, So I had a guy recently write me he's like, hey, I'm about to start flight school and I want to be a YouTuber. What, what should I do? And I said, Hey man, that's really a tough question because to me, if, if, what do you want? Do you want to be a pilot or do you want to be a YouTuber? Because while you're in flight school, there's a lot to learn and it's kind of hard to do both. It's hard to YouTube sucks up a lot more of my time than I thought it was going to be like, Oh, a 10 minute video. How hard could that be? Now I know it takes a lot of time to put that out. So I, you know, I said, you know, and this is just my opinion. Like I would get through flight school and you know, you can make a random video here and there, but there's so much to learn and you don't want to skip what's important to save your life or your crew's life because you were busy working on, you know, stuff for a YouTube algorithm. Right. So.
0: Yep. Absolutely. I I always, that's that's a tricky thing. It's a very tricky thing and it's tough. And I always say that, your job is more important than YouTube. Your job is more important than Instagram. Now, if you're very, very lucky, I mean, it takes a lot of subscribers to make a living off of it, but if you're very, very lucky to, to be in that situation, then maybe you could, I don't know, you can find a way to to where YouTube is actually more important than the job you have, and you can step away and make other cool videos. But most people, everyone that listens to this, or maybe there's an exception, but most people are gonna be kind of, your job is more important. It doesn't matter. This picture is not gonna change your life more than you use losing your job or getting the next upgrade and stuff like that. So, so it's very important to, to have a perspective and keep those in mind.
1: Yeah. I mean, as it is now, most of the guys at my airline know, know who I am or know me. And it's, you know, it's weird. I show up and I still do whether I'm the pilot flying or pilot monitoring, or I'm, I'm sitting on maybe the, I'm going to be the reserve guy. So regardless of what I'm doing, it's, I don't show up to the plane thinking I am, I'm Kelsey seven, four gear YouTube. I, I don't do that. And the, And it's, it's surprising to me, like I'll be four hours into a flight across the ocean and the other person I'm flying with will look over and go, so when are you going to tell me that you're famous? Right? Like (laughs) they've seen me, but I, but you know, but I'm still, if I'm doing the, I'm still doing the walk around, I'm still checking the catering. I'm still doing all the errand stuff that I always did from day one. I, I haven't changed that. And it's, you know, sometimes people, I think, think okay, now this guy's going to be a diva. And so that's, what's kind of interesting. I'll be four hours into a flight and I'm like, why did you wait four hours? And in my mind, I'm thinking that they're thinking, and I don't know this, but I'm thinking, they're thinking, let me see if this guy's really a dick or not. Because <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I've had internal chats. There's been internal chats through my airline where people will say, oh, look at this video that, that Kelsey posted. And, and there were some guys that started dogging me. And there was pilots that I've flown with that were like, I've flown with that dude. He's really cool. Like don't, you know what I mean? So it, it, you know, you, you know, aviation's a super small world. So now I'm in this YouTube aviation world where it's even smaller, where like Joe and Petter and, and all these guys where, you know, we talk on Instagram or what's up all the time. Well, not all the time, but uh, enough. Right. And it's like, man, that's a tiny little niche inside of another one. Uh, but I I don't, I don't chase that. I've just been like, okay, cool. Like priority one right now is flying and, and making sure, my flying skills are, are up to par and then I make the videos, but it's, it's a, it's a much, it's a big added pressure to try to crank out every, a video every week, uh, on a layover filming on a, at a hotel, I got to have the lighting right. And I got to drag a whole extra bag of camera and audio okay. equipment around with me. It's
0: kind of yep. a pain, but it's a lot. It definitely so is a lot. I- what I signed up for. I know, right? Don't complain about yeah. it, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, those are pretty much. All. I have one more section for you, but I'll just say this before we get in. It's a quick section. Don't worry. But uh, I just appreciate you coming on, man. It's great to know you as a person. It's great to talk to you and, and know that you're not a dick, like you just said. Know that you're you're a good dude. I mean, it's been fun talking to you for for the last hour and a half or so and, and learning your story and learning how you got to where you are and kind of your mindset and going in it. I think people will take a lot out of it, and I think there's gonna be a lot of value coming out of understanding more about you and who you are and how you operate and, and the point of your channel and what your, what your goals are. So I think that's really cool and I appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah, I, I hope that's exactly the case. Like I said, I, the whole thing has been giving value, whether that be entertainment and showing people aviation or teaching people stuff about aviation that they didn't know. There's a lot of people who wrote me messages saying, I've always been scared to fly and watching your videos has made me like not scared to fly anymore or a lot less nervous when I hit turbulence. And, and that really makes me feel super good more than anything.
0: I love it, man. Yeah. I, I, value is huge. And if you seek value and if you seek helping, I think that it's going to pay off in the in the long term rather than seeking views and seeking subscribers. So I think you got it right. But I have a quick little rapid fire section for you. And I'm just going to ask you a bunch of aviation centric questions and you have to, this is your only job. Your only job is to answer as quick and as fast and with no explanation whatsoever. All right. All right. All right. This is the first question. is going to be what's your favorite airplane, and it's going to be tiered. So the first one is going to be airliner. What's your favorite airliner, and you can include a, a cargo. This can be like any kind of heavy jet.
1: I, I guess it'd have to be Boeing seven forty seven.
0: Would it be the Dream Lifter or just a plane seven forty seven?
1: Uh well, the Dream is a modified seven forty seven. So I guess it kind of goes the Dream Lifter's. It's just weird because it's so iconic. It's so weird shaped, and there's only four of them. Uh, so again, super privileged to fly in it, but. It, it flies to me. It flies almost like a seven forty seven four hundred. So seven four seven.
0: All right. Let's say a uh, smaller jet. So maybe like a seven three and lower. Do you have a favorite one and lighter? Um, I, I you know I've always like
1: a like a G five fifty or a global. I I think those are just they're super sexy. I guess would be the, the the smaller like corporate size jets that I really like.
0: What about uh just a small piston twin or not? Just a small piston plane in general it doesn't have to be a twin. It can be anything.
1: Um, I just recently went out and flew a Cirrus and that was pretty fun. Just, uh, yeah, it was fun just because of the automation, a lot of it was similar to what I know. And it had an autopilot, which is great. Which is uh, helpful. <laughs> I went out and got checked out on the guys like, all right, we're going to hand fly this first hour. And I was like, crap. And I was like, this is not going to be pretty, but it actually turned out to be okay. Or he just didn't scream at me because he found out I was a professional pilot, but That's either hilarious. way it, it worked out. Okay.
0: All right, I get some flack for this one because I think there are some ugly airplanes out there. And specifically, I think the Piaggio is an ugly airplane. It has nothing to do against with how great it can perform, but just aesthetically, I think it's ugly. Do you have an ugliest airplane?
1: Um, yeah, well, no, not, I'm not. Um, no, because if I say, no, I don't really have one that I'm like, oh, God, that's atrocious. Because I know some guys think the A380 is a, a disaster, and I'm kind of like,
0: you yeah, whatever. for sure. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we'll, we'll go with no, you're, you're safe for now. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Here's one. What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot?
1: That I could become a pilot that I was, that I, I, that I had the mental capacity to do it and that I was, I
0: I guess, able to do it. I like it. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? It could be living. They could have passed on. Could be Instagram. Could be anything, anything in aviation. If you could choose one person, who would you want to meet? Uh,
1: I think, Neil Armstrong.
0: Nice, I like that. What is your favorite thing about aviation?
1: You know, for for me, it's just that for our grandparents, who you know, what we do or what I do on a daily basis is something that they could never have imagined. Which is, I'll wake up in the morning in one continent and one hemisphere, and within 24 hours beyond another continent in another hemisphere it, that blows my mind it's still super crazy to me like i'll i'll wake up and i'll be in la and then you know by the time my day's over i'm in australia and it's like okay cool here i am and that that to me is and it's and you know also the other thing right now especially more for this specific time a lot of what we're moving right now is medical supplies you know i'd find a lot of stuff in and out of jfk and atlanta and for all the doctors and it's cool that I can have one small contribution into helping with what's going on right now, taking a a plane full of masks or whatever for these doctors and nurses that are on the front lines. It's cool to be kind of like behind the scenes doing my small part of something that I can do for them. I think that's pretty awesome. I Definitely
0: agree. All right. Here's another one. What's the hardest approach you've ever flown?
1: Um... I guess the, the two that come to mind were like the, the LaGuardia, uh, was it the stadium visual? Have you done that one?
0: No, I haven't. We don't go to LaGuardia too much. Every once in a while, but not too much. So you got
1: that stadium visual and then the, uh, or in the river visual into Dulles. But I think that the stadium visual into the LaGuardia, the first time I did that, I was like, we're going to do what? And you got to like, or it's a freeway visual. I forget what it is, but you follow a freeway, you hit this like stadium building and you turn, and then you go like right over the top of this building and kind of have to like drop into a relatively short runway. Um, just because prior to do that, it was like ILS is an RNAV approaches. And then it was like, I'm going to hand fly this thing and then do, yeah, that was the first one that was kind of a, uh,
0: uncomfortable for me. All right. What's your favorite approach you've ever flown? The same thing. <laughs> favorite <laughs> airport to land at overall.
1: Um, favorite airport to land at. I I don't know that I have one airport that I really, uh, it's more the the challenge of getting in there. Like, Doing some of those, like taking a seven four and doing like the uh, what is it, the four left circle, whatever uh, you follow the approach lights in. Those types of things are fun for me because it's challenge. Uh, but I don't necessarily have one airport where I'm like, oh, this is this is my favorite.
0: No. Do you have one that you despise and just are so tired of going into or don't like? I, I honestly,
1: I hated uh, Newark, and just because it was so
0: congested when I'd get in there, so. All right. Let's say you are, you're hungry. You got to get some food. What's your go-to, maybe airport food or like crew food that you could always have? All right. Chipotle. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities?
1: Um, I like, um, man, that's a great question. I I think it'd have to be a toss up between mountains and cities, but cities, because I think it's cool just to see from up above, especially like in Europe and other places, it just seemed like how these things have developed, you're just like, why is that city over there? It doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> they should have built right there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The river's so close. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh Airbus or Boeing? I think we all know the answer to this, but I'll ask anyway.
1: Yeah. I think I'd have to say Boeing or I'd get fired, right? Yeah.
0: So. Favorite, what's your favorite airline livery?
1: Um I I think Pan Am is kind of just the iconic one, right? So I'd have to say Pan Am. All
0: right. Would you rather fly one very very long trip, which I'm guessing is what you do, or would you rather do, say, one day flying six legs? Yeah, one one long trip for sure. What is the hardest checkride you ever took?
1: Uh, hardest checkride I ever took. I guess it would be my my private, which I failed. Uh, just because I was so unprepared for it, I, I had I didn't know how to prepare, and I was so unprepared and. And I felt really stupid and I, and I failed it. So that would
0: be my hardest. What's the biggest regret in your career so far? If you have one.
1: I, you know, I don't really have a regret. And, and the reason, because I guess it's twofold. One, you can't change it. And two, had something went different, maybe I wouldn't be where I'm at. And I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at.
0: All right. What about biggest win of your career?
1: I'd say getting, getting onto and passing all my training to fly 747.
0: I was about. the Next question is: What's the toughest plane you've learned how to fly?
1: Uh, the the jet stream, thirty-one, thirty-two. All right,
0: harder than seven four? Way harder. Yeah, interesting.
1: It's it's not the systems; it's just flying, and I mean, you can't look out the window without it like getting inverted. It's but there's no autopilot. We do we would do no autopilot. Raw data approaches the minimums on the regular, um, and you're hand flying it all. So. You want to talk about a plane that really like, makes you a good pilot, it, it's doing hundreds of hours or thousands of hours flying, something like that. Uh, and I'm really thankful to have had that opportunity because it's kind of nice to know deep down, if everything really goes bad, like you know deep down you can make this happen. You have the ability to do that. Rod data and IMC.
0: CRJs or ERJs? As a passenger, to ride on as a passenger.
1: Oh uh well
0: the 145s or the 175s uh i feel like it's not a fair comparison to add a 175 to that so let's do the 145 and a 200 oh christ because anyone would choose a 175 right like that's one of the more comfortable ones to sit on i feel like super comfortable yeah Yeah, i mean that's
1: like a mini you know airbus yeah that doesn't count Uh, i guess i I would probably take a 200 over a 145 Piper cessna Cessna.
0: Last but not least, what is your favorite airline to ride on? Say uh, you got a 7.4 to go pick up; they're giving you business class. What airline would you choose out of any airline in the entire world?
1: Out of anyone in the entire world, um, man, you know I, I, I've been kind of silly about this because I've I've always been worried about my status, and I keep uh, executive platinum on <clears throat> on one world, so I'm always flying on JAL and American. And I've even passed up flights on Emirates for getting that. And that's kind of one thing I'd want to do. And and now that I've kind of locked in Executive Platinum, if I have a chance, I'm going to try to get an Emirates flight because I've skipped that. And I almost took a job over there with them. And I've been on their 380 when they were doing recruiting. I, it's amazing. So I guess... I guess that would be my my one that I'd want
0: to go on. All right. Well, congratulations. You have successfully completed the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Congrats, man. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. It's been fun talking to you. And it's, uh, dude, I feel like we could talk forever and just uh, keep going on and on and on. So maybe one day we'll get a part two. But uh, nonetheless, I appreciate you coming on. And I wish you the best of luck, man. Keep flying. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep creating some great YouTube content. And uh, I appreciate it.
1: Sure, man. Thank you so much for having me. Next time I'm in Chicago, maybe we'll meet up and grab something. To Absolutely.
0: Eat. Let's get some deep dish pizza, man. And that is a wrap of episode 119 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Aviation, thank you so much for listening to the episode today. Like I, uh, I said earlier, please leave us a review on iTunes. That means so much to us. All those reviews, it just lets more people find it. It pops up on iTunes, on Spotify, and it's recommended to everyone to listen to it. I believe this podcast is, is for everyone. It's for people outside of aviation as well. We cover some pretty cool topics in this podcast, so I'd like to see it continue to grow. I can't do that without you guys leaving a review. Also, make sure to check out that survey. It takes Seven minutes. I'll be helping you out so much, and you'll also be able to have the chance to win one of five hats. So that's gonna be pretty cool. It's me up for probably another week. I'll probably keep it up for two weeks total. So we have one week from Tuesday, and then I'll be taking it down. So check that out while you can. But Aviation next is Swain Martin. It's gonna be a big episode. So I hope you are looking forward to that one, like I am looking forward to releasing that as well. Aviation, I hope you guys have a great day, and as always, happy flying.